How can sound and listening be mobilised for understanding questions of power, capture and extraction under networked capitalism and data colonialism? Capturall is a multi-year collaboration between Liquid Architecture and Sarai, featuring artists, scholars and writers based in India and Australia, contributing to a series of critical intensives and dialogues, public programs and publications. You're listening to the Liquid Architecture podcast. Today, Capturall curator Laura McLean and artist Savani Suri, Thomas Smith, Asma Talika and Sharika Helaludin talk through the work developed through Capturall in relation to cross-cultural exchange, scale and technologies. This project is contextualised by Sarai's pioneering work on media and information, urbanism, infrastructure, media archaeology, data and law, the commons, and the public domain in South Asia, and in Liquid Architecture's ongoing research projects, including machine listening, a constantly evolving platform investigating the effects of algorithmic, machinic, networked, and technologized listening on our social and political lives. Led by research curators Laura McLean and Mihak Sawney, Capturall considers Australia and India's complex relationships to coloniality and extraction across physical and digital spaces. My name's Laura McLean. I am based in Nam, Melbourne, on the land of the Kulin Nation. I'm a curator and researcher and sometimes writer, and I've been co-curating Capture All for Liquid Architecture with me, who's been representing Sarai for the last year or so. The kind of soundbite for Capture All was that it would be a kind of Sustained collective inquiry into how experimental practices of sound and listening might be mobilised as resources for understanding, intervening in conditions of capture, extraction and governance. And so we kind of took as our starting point thematic considerations of sound in relation to knowledge, expression, data, archives, location and situatedness. And we kind of problematised these along with the very notion of the nation state as a coherent context. And so along the way, lines of inquiry and large questions began to emerge through creative and critical conversations amongst the cohort and with invited guests. Some of these questions and inquiries brought to the conversations that we have captured in the works in the Disclaimer dossier. I've noticed time remained a really significant theme in the Capture All cohort's contributions. These contributions variously plumb the past, present and future, which are accessed as an archaeological site, an audio archive, as e-witness testimonies, as instructions, as stories, and as databases of proclivity and affect. We thought about structuring the dossier perhaps kind of from looking into the deep past to the more recent present and then speculating into the future. And what's been interesting is they all kind of depend on these variously existing or imagined archives to draw stories from and kind of create narratives out of in various ways. I'm Suvani. I live and work out of Delhi. 
I've also been teaching while practicing as an artist and a researcher. The piece that I've attempted for Slima is called The Search for Hasena's Song and Other Phenophanies. And it's premised on this historical linguistic survey that was conducted by the British Empire in a country in the early 1900s. And it's spanned almost like two decades, the process of collection of an assortment of languages, uh, voices, utterances, dialects, songs, poems, you know. For me, I think like the conception of it was tied in with how I was also trying to uh, listen in to some of these audio recordings within the archive. For a really long time, it was lost and forgotten, this entire sort of archive. And it was only in the early 2000s that there was a sort of resurgence of it via the work of this professor, Shahid Amin. And at that time, this entire archive was digitized by the Digital South Asia Library at the University of Chicago. So at some point, I chanced upon some news articles and reports that spoke about it, and it just incited my interest in it. And I started to try and listen into the recordings, but they were not really anywhere to be found. And so one of the first recordings or one of the first instances in the archive that I kind of landed upon was a piece called A Song, where the person who was recorded was somebody called Hasena. She was recorded in a language of Mewari or Ahirwati, it was sort of called in the archive, written there. And I started to get very curious about what is this song, but I couldn't hear it. For me, it inspired an interest in trying to craft stories and embed them within the archive where I'm actually trying to short-circuit history. So it was almost like a process of like looking at other sonic histories in the subcontinent or like my own serendipitous chance encounters, accidental occurrences that might have sort of taken place and then just trying to short-circuit some of these and then re-embed them into the archive. And in a way, use that to re-listen to what is in the archive. One of the things that I've been really interested in is listening technologies and the sort of processes that go into making something audible. So for me, a question was that in the process of audibilization of this archive or in the process of the materialization of this archive, in the process of collection, what other events or occurrences might be inaudible and how could those then be perhaps reimagined or reactualized through the mode of fiction? So I ended up crafting like these micro fictions, as I call them. Each of these is seemingly disconnected, but also very much connected through these short circuits that are happening throughout the sort of landscape of stories. And I think the key sort of clusters that I've been looking at are voice and a certain kind of history of landscapes. 
also thinking of extraction both in terms of like extraction of voice as well as how colonial extraction sort of figures in this entire landscape but in the process of imagining this making this creating this i had a lot of serendipitous moments as well and so i've kind of tried to re-plug them into this whole piece yeah so there's a tentacular sort of a disposition that it has and i'm i'm also wanting to further expand upon it go as wide as i can go deep I think there was a certain irony in all of this as well and I have tried to hint upon that because there's this idea of discovery like when does one chance upon something first it's almost like a history of the firsts the first time the linguistic survey was conducted the first time that a voice was recorded in the indian subcontinent the first song that was recorded the first time that this was rediscovered you know the first time that it was digitized and i found it quite ironic because even in the pieces even in the news reports that i found from the early 2000s there was this kind of a claim to a history and one of the reports for instance was titled century old sounds just a click away and it spoke about how uh, this is the first time that something like this rich kind of a database of languages has been found whereas the irony here was that at this point of time it wasn't uh, really like just a click away as it was <laughs> claimed uh, even though later i kind of found it in another library like tucked away digital library i find it difficult to like sum it up in a few sentences because i feel like there was a lot that was going in there for me and there is a kind of irony in the fact that i am also then trying to enter into it or trying to access it through my own imagination so i'm kind of trying to look at it in a doubled up sort of way and how history kind of folds in on itself always for me the figure of the crackle that is also preserved in these dusty old records and that stays on even when it is digitized became that way through which to tease apart some of these histories and through which to de- tease apart this juxtaposition between the past and the present because my formulation is that it's in the crackle that certain other voices and phenomenies appear Narrative 001 The things we like I'm Tom Smith and I'm in Melbourne and I made a work it's called Narrative 001 the subtitle Things we like it imagines a kind of one world streaming platform that's kind of uses people's data sets to create media that satisfies their desires in some perfect way so it's kind of set in the future and this um 
camera is sort of panning around through these beautiful landscapes while a narrator tells the story of what this platform does and how it came to be and the various kind of shifts in the global economy that enabled that to happen. So in its mode or method, it's a fairly straightforward piece of speculative fiction. This video is the first known example of an APVN, or Automated Personalized Video Narrative, Produced in the year 2142, it is one of trillions that now populate the Earth's single remaining streaming and multimedia entertainment platform, Worldio. If you continue watching... In terms of my broader work, you know, my research sort of going back a few years has kind of been looking at the way in which various systems kind of capture or commodify various kinds of human capacities or desires for connection and communication and this sort of, I don't like to use the word, but say immaterial economies and kind of extending upon that and in this work really focusing on particular desires and what a mode of production might look like if it in some way was able to kind of perfectly capture desires and satisfy them, at least on the level of kind of media. So there is a kind of character in the story who's, because we kind of go through this hypothetical character's data set and the things that that they like so and kind of looking at the way that personal preferences are kind of instrumentalized as part of a certain mode of production i guess because over the last couple of years i've done a couple of other works that are sort of looking at streaming economies at scale and looking at how they're developing and kind of thinking about what the designers of those platforms would try to do in their kind of best case scenario even if they're not necessarily thinking in that way like which is what speculative fiction does i guess you know looking at the sort of logical conclusion of the way those platforms work let's now take a look at a small slice of our anonymous users data a brief excerpt of preferences include digital instruments that sound acoustic Pentatonic scales, syncopation, the shakuhachi, blizzards, a hero's journey, wide open spaces, sublime landscapes, fjords, mountains, perfect fifths, D minor triad, a tuned 808 bass drum, Lolita Holloway's woo, root bass composition. I tried to maybe think in really kind of concrete terms about like what a database looks like that a platform keeps on a person. Obviously you can do that with Google and Facebook. You can look at the data that they have on you and maybe like trying to create a sort of database for a hypothetical person and then sort of thinking about how I would visualize it. And I wanted it to have this sort of slightly uncanny valley kind of feel where it looks kind of real, but it also looks a bit sketchy and a little bit CG. And that's kind of led me down this road of, working with game engines and using Unreal. There are lots of platforms and systems that are trying to do that. Like, like for instance, in, say, an Indian context, Aadha identification system that the Indian government is sort of trying to bring online. That's a very current attempt. I think something like what's happening, what TikTok are doing, you know, there's like everyone around the world sort of realizing that it's taking everybody's data and people are sort of becoming concerned about that but you know that's a a streaming platform that is sort of very much attempting to put together data sets on everyone that uses it so it's certainly something that's happening in the present in general this kind of speculative fiction kind of 
enables us to look at certain aspects of the present and extrapolate upon them and kind of think about what their potential ramifications or outcomes or certain contingencies, kind of where they might lead if they're not thought through and, and regulated and things like that. So I guess it's fairly kind of standard in that way in its approach to speculation. I, I think maybe it's one thing to mention is that like even though the world, the sort of diegesis that's in there is kind of obviously dystopian in some way, I didn't really intend to do that. Like I wanted to sort of there are aspects of the narrative that aren't dystopian and I think that maybe in this some kind of reverse speculative way kind of helps us to think about the the present in the same way. You know, we already live in this dystopia in so many ways but I didn't want it to be this really straightforward didactic thing where it's just awful and I think that sort of comes back to this idea of like the desires that are there that are being satisfied by a system like that is sort of gives us a way to maybe think about our engagement with certain platforms and social media and, and digital systems because on a lot of levels like we do want to and we do enjoy it and maybe there's something in that desire to be kind of pulled apart and kind of revisited and analyzed. To consumers in the 21st century, Worldio might have seemed unappealing. What about agency, authorship and newness? What about the sublime and the experience of otherness? What about the indeterminate labor of creativity? It is important to note that, much like social media platforms of the 21st century, Participation in this system has always been voluntary. Join with a slip stitch onto the top chain of the first stitch, like so. So we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. We've got a total of 12 double stitches with a chain space between each. I am Atma. I I've been based out of Delhi. The work is called Listening to Success Stories. I think there are like two parts. One was basically looking at public and private experiences of technical activities. And then how the way that you kind of listening to the voice of someone else entails like a system of recording and technologies of recording, which are very specific. And I kind of want to distinguish it from the way that I'm reading technical activities, where in something like crocheting, specifically kind of connected to like a computational sort of logic, there is a certain very mathematical sort of formulation and a pattern through which you're kind of building a fabric, right? It was around the same time that, I mean, for a while, I've been kind of doing some research on natural language processing, working with natural language processing tools. And I think when you are introduced to the word processor, it's not something that features in the work in a very direct sense, but I used it, process, ran a lot of videos and a lot of tutorials, it started with like crochet tutorials. So how a mode of instruction and very specifically instructing something that's actually coded, right? That it's either you're basically following a code to build or construct a fabric. And I saw some similarities in the way that you're kind of discretizing speech and the way that you're kind of the syntactic filtering of speech that I'd been doing through the word processor and generally other kind of text processing tools have opened up this 
idea of like how does it change the way that you're listening to things that are already part of your everyday and i think that's where like in the video for example shark tank india coming in became an interesting sort of a layer because it is something that would happen like i had been doing this watching this sitting at home and the specific episodes that i've kind of put out to in the video are to do with wearable tech products again it's like this sort of there's a protective function that these technologies are kind of attributing in terms of a business idea that can be profitable that can be invested into and is something for the good of the people in terms of being protective the way that i conceive this work was to kind of just arrange these different aspects right where there's this shark tank india that's playing and then there's this these two hands that are kind of crocheting in front of the laptop screen and the voice over is kind of instructing to follow the pattern or the crochet pattern and it's kind of suddenly jumps into like these very fragmentary kind of statements or anecdotes or stories that are kind of a response to or rather a reading of how voices circulate or the way that language is interpreted how does that seep into the way that you reflect on say a certain family history or the way that you kind of listen to i don't know like political speeches for me this in between space where the public and the private is in the same frame that was the attempt at least to kind of open that out chain 3 slide into this gap and make a stitch slide to unlock pinch to zoom tap to accept conditions companies have failed to patent hand gestures in the past so they patent a protocol that conditions the habits of the mind instead what i did with the word processor was to think through words like verbs action verbs that instruct or that indicate that point to an act and i think the voice over the the text that i wrote for the voice over uh, that i read out is kind of built on this play of words that i'm kind of then working through these different very different kind of fragmentary pieces that i'm bringing in between these crocheting instructions in terms of rhythm i literally recorded myself live while i was crocheting so the voice is really following the way that the hook is running and looping through the thread i didn't even realize that it was a 20 minute long piece when i recorded it there's certain slowness to it sometimes i break away from the rhythm sometimes i'm following the rhythm and that there was some sort of a deliberation on when the stories come in it's kind of veering away from the site or the the focus on the weaving itself the frame is static but the idea was to kind of how do you move in and out of what is in front of you through the way that you're listening when is that kind of synced and not synchronized with the action but i mean this work is something that i tried out for the first time in terms of performing in terms of bringing in my own voice in terms of 
bringing in something like crochet, which I never really considered earlier to kind of reflect on in terms of work. The great-great-grandfather used to bathe in the holy river. After his bath, he would chant his beliefs in the temple facing the ghat. Women around him in his family said he was an angry man. Once he saw a man who washed people's clothes for a living throw some residue water by the side. The grandfather thought, he assumed, that it was directed at him. I'm Sharika. I currently work, create, and listen in so-called Sydney. I produce radio and create experimental sounds and work in queer mental health. The piece that I worked on is called An Echoic Memory Song, Listening for Loss, Grief, and Possibility Through Killity Objects. And through an echoic memory song, I composed what is part, I guess, an ambient soundscape that's intended to communicate across different generations of my family and Tamil communities that have been basically effaced by Hindu nationalist writings of histories, particularly in the region of Kiladi, that it's kind of been unearthed in some of my like family history that they're from there as well as Sri Lanka. And I guess it's also tapping into a lineage of a type of song and grief that has been a labour that is part of Tamil communities. In looking at broader ideas of extraction that we've been speaking through in Capture All, I think my relationship to a lot of my practice and ways of listening are very emotional and look at affective labour. And I think in trying to find meaning and solace in these type of theoretical frameworks, what made most sense to me was to look at the archaeological side of Kiladi that my family has been doing research in and some of them live nearby it, but was looking for forms of processing such as grief that I feel like are lost in broader histories and writings even of radical reclamation of lost cultures And I think just trying to find moments of, I think, pause and reflection for the stories that have not been told for thousands of years, which is a condition of many settler colonial contexts where we're deprived of rituals to understand these types of things as well. So I think that's what I was tapping into. And an echoic memory is a phenomena of your brain recalling something for 
usually four seconds. So when I was composing the piece, I began kind of wanting to listen deeply to what a lamentation would sound like and was trying to sing that for four seconds and then have kind of manipulated and warped it into a song that is different intervals of four to create something that's a bit more encompassing and almost relentless when you hear it. So rather than being ephemeral in its four-second last, it becomes something much more expansive and a bit more of a call. thinking through the work I wasn't necessarily thinking that it was more of a positive outlook on digital archive if anything it came from a weariness of not knowing how seemingly organic or embodied and other ways of knowledge and memory could be preserved and honored like in what can feel like a more sanitized academic context so Some of it did come both from actual loss through grief, but also feeling lost sometimes in these contexts as someone who's not continually thinking through these types of theories, because a lot of my listening practices are rooted in healing justice and needing to listen or tell stories of people often like queer and like migrant communities that are not being heard so I think not intentional in its positivity but perhaps just trying to bring in like a sense of feeling and plurality that is part of the chorus that is all of our works like we're kind of all conjuring really different ways of seeing and feeling whether jaded cynical or otherwise and It necessarily fits within the plurality of all of these works as just another way to consider and connect to the things that we listen and are in relationship to. I've been reflecting on how Capture was initiated during this moment of crisis or in the midst of a crisis, which is kind of experienced in asynchronous waves across the world that closed borders and isolated individuals and radically reconfigured patterns of life and death. And how when we were starting, we were thinking about how we would structure Capture I think about the fact that this had really accelerated mediatization of interpersonal relations that someone who was on the other side of the world was just as kind of quote-unquote close as someone who was on the other side of town because you couldn't see anyone in person. And there was also this moment of the proliferation of online events and all of a sudden it only mattered what time zone you're in 
didn't matter kind of where you were. So people were converging from all different points on earth to one event and they're only defined by whether it kind of AEST, HKT, IST, whatever time zone they're in. So there was this very strange moment of the kind of flattening or collapse of time and space, and that's the context that Capture All kind of began in, to invite quote-unquote Australian, quote-unquote Indian artists uh, and to look at the context of both countries becomes problematised like almost immediately. Um, what is it to be from one of these countries, like these nation-states that kind of try to appear as totalities but are fragmented and have many different histories and countries and cultures within them. I think what's been interesting in in each person's work is to problematise what it is to be from one of those countries or to be in one of those countries. What we tried to get to in our last intensive sound location situatedness was this kind of idea of situatedness. I suppose we were trying to look at the specifics of place and specifics of sound in place. I feel like it's important to locate that in the present colonisation is ongoing and we are all listening and making on like different sites of occupation and I don't want to speak for Uzma but like I think her work is also really indicative of a settler colonial narrative that is really easily erased by the very powers and context that we exist in in India and so-called Australia that's like something that I'm constantly and necessarily thinking through especially as a settler is what is it and how are we listening to the land and cultures and communities around us without also extracting the labor of First Nations communities needing to educate or call us in to deeply listen to what they've been saying for thousands of years. The other grandmother would peep through the kitchen window. She would watch the husband stitch people's clothes and make wooden furniture for a living. I feel like there were glimpses that we caught from each other's ways of speaking about contexts that aren't necessarily too specific to where we are located always. And at the same time, as Sharika was saying, within our practices, there are, of course, specific locations and geopolitics that steps in. And you get a peek into how each of us are addressing or each of us are thinking and accessing this space whether it's Kashmir, whether it's the question of something like caste in India, whether it's something which is distant from me in terms of Australia. I felt really similar to that. I I like this word glimpse, you know, because I haven't been to India and we sort of learnt all these bits and pieces from, from the discussions and looking at the works, you know, initially that was really amazing to kind of get a sense of what everybody's work is about and what it's referring to. That was super fascinating. And I feel like there's some sort of groundwork laid for for me to maybe engage with, you know, what's going on in India more deeply in the future. But, yeah, I think at this stage it's kind of like I wouldn't want to, like, claim that I've <laughs> gained some sort of special insight into, into your context, although I have learned. It feels more like a set of possibilities, I suppose. 
even for me i don't know if anything's been resolved but it's definitely revealed a lot of layers of complexity and contradictions within our own sort of systems and this exchange has been very rich in uh sort of placing it together you know juxtaposing these contradictions so like for instance one of the things that i also often wonder about is how for us in a way history itself is oppressive there's a certain kind of weight to it which itself is like oppressive in its disposition at the same time there are colonial histories that we are a part of and at the same time in the present as we see we are also occupying the position of being settlers within our own countries so there are all these sort of like inextricable complexities that we are enmeshed in and i think one of the things that sort of started to come up towards the end was this question of resituating and the question of listening positionalities as well and both these ideas are critical to rethinking our you know location in the present so how do we sort of resituate our own histories in what we are now in a way that is perhaps even affirmative or that can mobilize thought in my own practice i've been quite preoccupied with ideas and situations that unsettle the sort of deterministic limits of our own environments right and i'm very interested in like questions around the sensible and a questioning of like limits and thresholds so the sonic sensorium in that sense allows for certain of these limits and thresholds to be revealed in specific ways through listening to oddities listening to you know absurdities listening to certain curiosities that may not be revealed via other sensoriums so for me sonic practice allows me to sort of question border control and that's what frames my interest in the sonic spectrum and through capture all we've been exploring a lot of these questions as well along with a wide array of concerns around the digital sensorium around surveillance around other sort of political ethical philosophical dimensions of the entire sort of spectrum of listening my practice also kind of i've been looking at communication technologies communication infrastructures and it's somehow from there it's something that in terms of media it's something that includes the recording of images the recording of sound the recording of speech the recording of text as a mode of communication not in terms of just like media in itself and i think for me through this capture all program i think this focus on listening really opened up a lot of ways of thinking about media itself i mean very specifically i was looking at how do you kind of use certain technologies or something like natural language processing or the word processor that how that analytical tool uh, allows you to sort of understand these kind of very minor ways in which you get conditioned to listen towards and how does that play in a sonic environment in terms of a situation that you're part of and it's not necessarily that you're listening to someone talking in the present but how does that get embedded from something that you might have recorded to the way that you then recollect it 
as a retention mechanism that's something that caught my interest with when it came to a, to a practice of listening very specifically let's now take a brief look at the history of worldview and some of its broad cultural implications the creation of worldview was the result of a series of market and regulatory shifts although antitrust laws were unevenly enforced well into the 21st century they were largely abandoned following the dissolution of the European Union along with its widely adopted Digital Services Act in 2078 subsequently market inertia and network effects intensified I have a background in music production going back a long time and the way that i suppose the music industry has sort of mutated in the last 10 years i think tells us a lot about data surveillance and data collection and platformization and and the way that sort of digital economies work so for me it's sort of i'm kind of coming at it from that angle i suppose looking at kind of aggregation systems and listening practices obviously like a part of that but i suppose looking at these sort of infrastructural elements in terms of me and my work and my thinking scale is sort of i'm like one of these maybe to a fault bigger picture type people like i'm always trying to zoom out and take this really macro view on everything so which i think comes through in the work like it's addressing this really like macro context and so the way that the personal or the world of like individuals or the way that sort of individual social life is folded into that is sort of at like a huge scale trying to address the way in which like an infrastructure or a system tries to capture and quantify everyone in some way or it would like to at least so for me yeah scale is about trying to look at those systems and think about them in terms of their ambitions to scale and you know it's not incidental that like the word scaling is like a big term in sort of startup culture right it's like can it scale digital forms of capture are always trying to to scale in terms of this public or this kind of macro and micro or public and private somehow i'm reminded of like aggregation or averaging and how the larger the scale the broader the aggregate right and i think that's where like technology sort of steps in and i think in the way that something like how do you you make technologies that you're sort of kind of expanding and production in terms of addressing like you know it has to reach the entire world and irrespective of their cultural specificities or political specificities but then it's also carrying with it this aggregated averaging or the typification of an individual and it's very interesting then how in the private or in the local right and i mean local again is very variable i don't want to narrow it down geographically but then how do these minor inflections or the minor kind of disruptions that sumani was also kind of mentioning that becomes really interesting to kind of then try and unpack in the way that you're accessing this average this aggregate but it, you're also producing an image you're also producing a notion even if you're not a person who sits in front of the computer every day even if you're not a person who's into gaming it's an image that floats and an individual a persona is being kind of generated scale as opposed to something like an intensity where the happening or the incident or the situation might be extremely minor in terms of duration but it becomes intense more in terms of an affect 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me also the question of scale is, it collapses into the question of intensities. I'm not very concerned with the disjunction between the macro and the micro because I feel like at some level it's also enmeshed and entangled within one another. And even in the contribution that I attempted for the dossier, what I started with was uh, at the face of it like a mammoth survey, a mammoth historical survey. But I think I was more interested in the micro encounters with the personal that it led to. And also, how can one embed themselves and other sorts of complicated histories in micro ways and granular ways into these macro sort of systems and structures. But at the same time, I find myself very intrigued by these sort of massive systems that seem to be kind of just sort of moving, you know, they're just on some sort of an auto mode from the outside of it. But at the same time, there are many, many, many cogs in the wheel that are making it work. In that sense, like while I'm interested in the question of like these granular histories and granular voices and imprints of encounters between the macro and the micro, at the same time, the macro or the like larger scales allow for, I think, the creation of certain worlds. Uh, fictional worlds or like speculative worlds within which then you can intervene. I wouldn't have thought of the word scale but definitely thinking of I guess depths um, of what it is to connect or listen deeply beyond I guess the immediate temporal categories that we're in. I think the idea of speculation is definitely like a tool that I've utilized in my work but often I guess speaking from someone who is of a diaspora, so not, you know, living in the context where family would have moved or been removed from, there comes a privilege to do that type of fabulation and like speculative work, but one that I think I like to sit in the discomfort of what it is to wield that type of like privilege and positionality as well and scale is like an interesting I guess vocabulary to offer these works as well. One of the original motivations for what became Captural was kind of de-universalize ideas of technology and capture and so-called surveillance capitalism. I think I'd been working in Western Europe and I'd come across some like lots of really great projects that were thinking about ways that data is captured and extracted from us in various ways. But then Generally, I mean, people all come from different kind of contexts, but generally this is coming from a fairly privileged Western perspective. And I became really interested in 
what it was to be in other parts of the world and to have different histories, to have settler colonial histories, to have post-colonial histories where forms of extraction and the kind of consequences of extraction and the kind of coloniality of this extraction was quite different, where there might be more to lose or a kind of even a possibility of a kind of double dispossession, let's say, and having maybe your land taken and then your kind of subjectivity extracted through state colonialism or advanced capitalism, whatever you want to call it. It was really fascinating to watch everyone's projects kind of emerge and develop. I suppose we came into the project with a fairly minimal framework and that was kind of deliberate because we wanted to let the project kind of go in its own direction. I mean, our kind of basic outline was um, to have a sustained inquiry into how experimental practices of sound and listening may be mobilised as resources for understanding, intervening conditions of capture, extraction and governance. I mean, there was kind of things that we wanted to kind of look at the way that sounds and other things can be archived and turned into data and kind of used as kind of historical archives in museums and such. And they really wanted it to be kind of guided by the work and the interests of, of the cohort. When Nihak and I were kind of planning the intensives, we would often kind of talk to everyone and say like, oh, we're thinking of doing this, we're thinking of doing that. Does anyone have any suggestions of people they'd like to invite? And so where possible, we'd kind of bring in texts to, to read together or guests to join us who would kind of speak to everyone's interests. Captural Dossier has been published in Liquid Architecture's online journal Disclaimer, featuring works from Tom Smith, Sharika Helaludin, Uzma Falak, Asma Talika, and Savani Suri. Find the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced by Mara Schretweger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organization for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes. (laughs) 